Exterior, California coastline, day 1995. A battered Volvo navigates the curves of a narrow coastal highway. Sunlight glitters on the waves of the Pacific, far below the cliffs, and wisps of cloud drawn with the surf. Interior, exterior, Angie's car. The two people inside the car drive in silence. Angie, 38, has long salt and pepper hair gathered with a claw clip. Her daughter, Jenna, is newly 18, flimsy Walkman headphones over her ears in the passenger seat. The silence passes between them like the mile markers. The two have a distant relationship, made worse by the recent loss of a third reference point, Jenna's dad. Jenna rests her chin in her hand, elbow against the window. Numbly, she watches the blurring bushes on the shoulder speed by. In the very back of the car, a big duffel bag displays a partially torn hang tag with Jenna's full name and address. Jenna Omura, Pacific Beach, California. The tag features a generic-looking logo, a tree growing from cupped hands. It reads, Hope Through Healing, Grief Recovery Treatment. Back in the passenger seat, Jenna picks at a hangnail. Her distant expression reads as a closed door to the real underlying emotion. Exterior Main Street. After some endless number of south-stretching miles, the car slows to a stop as it turns off a freeway ramp and into the downtown area of Pacific Beach. Hardly a city, the place is a string of small shops and strip malls running parallel to a boardwalk. Once a huge draw, now a huge drag. In the car, Jenna stirs awake. She lifts off one of the headphones, watching a group of college kids crossing the street. They all look like members of Sonic Youth, carrying backpacks in a stereo from which blasts an unintelligible Melvin song. Angie looks over with a too gentle smile. Some alarm clock, huh? Jenna shifts grumpily in her seat, putting the headphones back on with a huff. Exterior, Jenna's house. The Volvo pulls into the driveway of a modest little two-story, completely overgrown with greenery of all varieties. Someone clearly used to manage the botanical landscape with care, the tangled leaves and branches filling the space in too short of a time. Jenna pushes open the passenger door. She gets out, stretching stiff legs, then goes to the back of the car to pull out the duffel. As she hefts it over her shoulder, she takes an unemotional glance at the neighborhood. Most of the houses on the street are in a bad state, two of them with for sale signs staked in unmown lawns. Interior, Jenna's house. Once inside, Jenna immediately heads up the creaky wooden stairs, pausing only to reach down and pet a striped gray cat rushing into the kitchen. Angie, still holding the car keys and a bundle of mail, calls up the stairs uselessly after Jenna. I'll make dinner if you're— She hears Jenna's bedroom door close. Hungry. Sighing with mild exasperation, Angie drops the keys on the counter. Interior, Jenna's bedroom. Jenna leans wearily against her bedroom door. She takes a shuddering breath, tossing her duffel to the ground in front of the closet, then curls onto her bed. She's grateful to lay her head on her own pillow. The room is cluttered but neat. Posters of smashing pumpkins in the doors and a long-haired Jordan Catalano cover the walls. A desk-slash-vanity stands opposite the bed, piled with books by Ginsberg and Amy Tan, nail polishes and dried flowers in a murky vase. Taped to the vanity's mirror, photos from Jenna's pre-grief life, including one of her family, Japanese mom, white dad, warp from the humidity. Jenna, on the bed, looks at the photo as though her dad's eyes in print might still twinkle with mischief. Instead, the only life is in her own dark brown ones, suddenly hot. A cordless phone on the desk rings, just in time to divert the spiral. Jenna leaps to her feet, yelling through the door as she bounds across the room. I'll get it. She snatches up the phone. Hello? Oh, thank God, it's finally you. Jenna's eyes light up, hearing her best friend's voice for the first time in weeks. Interior Liz's bedroom. Liz, still 17, paces around a bedroom cloaked in bohemian influence and scarves over the windows. She's hourglass-shaped and exuberant, brown curls bouncing with every movement, talking at full volume with her entire body. It's a chaotic scene outside Liz's bedroom door in comparison with the O'Meara's house. Multiple younger siblings shout and run through the hall. Would you all shut up? I'm on the goddamn phone. Intercut phone conversation. Liz slams her bedroom door shut, narrowly missing a kid brother's fingertips. She rolls her eyes as she puts the receiver back to her ear. 
So when did you get back? Just barely. Of course, we had to take the scenic route, which took about three decades. Liz flops into a velvet armchair. Don't tell me you're even older than me now. I cannot be seen hanging out with a 48-year-old. Ha ha. In her room, Jenna wedges the cordless between her ear and shoulder as she unzips the duffel and starts stuffing dirty clothes into the hamper. How was it? What? Grief camp? Take a guess. What do they even have you do for two months? Like, tons of trust falls? Jenna looks automatically up at the family photo stuck in the mirror with a sudden smirk. Tons. It was basically the crying Olympics. Guess who won the medal for the saddest dead dad story? You, I hope. You've been training all year for it. Jenna snorts, flopping back onto the bed and chipping away at her stingy hangnail once more. Well, are you planning to mope around, or can we start making up for a lost summer? Oh, I don't care. What do you want to do? I don't care either. I'm short on cash, though, since I got fired from the video store. That's no surprise. How long did you last this time? It's fucking stupid, all right? I'll tell you later. I technically haven't told my folks. Liz stretches in her chair, cat-like, confident that the din of children's voices drowned out her admission. There's always the boardwalk, I guess. It's free if we don't do anything fun. Good. I hate fun. (laughs) See you there in 30? 30-ish. They both hang up. End phone conversation. Interior, Jenna's bedroom. Jenna tosses the cordless down next to her, then wriggles off of her stomach and up to her feet. She digs through the dirty clothes in the duffel with some small ounce of vibrance coming back to her face. Finally, she pulls out a man-sized flannel shirt, easing it over her shoulders with a gentle stroke to smooth out the wrinkles. Interior, Jenna's house. Angie stands in the kitchen, chopping up a variety of fibrous, colorful vegetables. She hears Jenna's footsteps thunder down the stairs. Mom? What? You're going out? Yeah. Well, Liz called. Is it okay if I go meet her at the boardwalk? You only just got back. And I'm making dinner. Don't you want to eat something first? Jenna's already pulling her shoes on at the kitchen side door, struggling with them. I'm not hungry. Can I go, please? Okay, but I don't want you out till midnight your first night home. Got it? Just because you're 18 now doesn't mean your curfew's off the table. Yeah, okay. She finally wrenches her sneaker onto her foot. Bye. 10 p.m. And be smart. But Jenna's already out the side door and out of sight, leaving Angie once more in an empty house. Exterior, Jenna's house. Wheeling her bike out from the detached, packed garage, Jenna hops on, gliding into the empty street. The breeze from the ocean whips up her hair and her shirt tails, and she breathes in this small freedom with a greedy gratitude. Exterior, boardwalk. Jenna rides up to the entrance of the Pacific Beach boardwalk, stepping off the bike as she meets a tangle of summer beachgoers. The boardwalk is busy, the busiest place we've seen so far, at peak season before fall comes and school resumes. Jenna untangles her bike lock from the bike's post just as Liz rides up on an unwieldy beach cruiser. Less practical, more fashionable. Perfect for her. Excitedly, Liz pulls Jenna into a bear hug. Welcome back! Happy birthday! Happy solstice! Happy whatever! God, I missed you! I missed you too. You mean it? You didn't make all new friends at Camp PTSD? Jenna scoffs, threading her lock through the bike's frame and tire as Liz carelessly leans hers against the rack. (laughs) Making friends isn't really the point. Honestly, I think my mom just wanted to get me away from her. She probably found this place before the funeral even ended. Way harsh, Mama Ange. Jenna clicks the lock into place. She feels like she let something too real bubble up, pulls back. Well, what did I miss? Ugh, nothing at all. I was so bored to tears the whole summer without you. Honestly, I was starting to hope Tad might croak and give me a reason to come up there. No, not Tad. I'm serious, really. Surprise, Jen. Tad's dead. He croaked. He's dead as hell. They've started walking to the boardwalk, and as Jenna laughs, Liz shakes her curls proudly away from her face, lion-like. Exterior, snack bar, dusk. The sun is starting to set over the ocean. Street lamps start to flicker on overhead. Liz and Jenna sit at a round plastic table, baked pale by the sun, outside of the snack bar. 
The tray in front of them is piled cheese fries, golden corn dogs, crackling sodas. Jenna pulls a fry from the pile with a luxurious cheese stretch, listening to Liz tell an animated story. The shot is wide, someone watching from afar, but the entire area bustles with constant motion, joyful screams rising and falling in the background. Exterior boardwalk, night. The two now lean against the boardwalk railing in quiet. The sun is set now, the ocean dark and vast in front of them, except for the occasional gleam of moonlight on a cresting wave. Jenna looks out at it, her hands limp over the railing. Liz is looking the other way, watching people pass with a keen eye. God, some of the people in this town sure are ugly. Jenna lets out a sharp laugh, turning to look along with Liz at the groups of people passing. She takes a sip of her soda, which is almost empty now, and gurgles in the straw. Like, look at those guys. Your team, for sure. Jenna follows Liz's glance to a handful of mulleted beach beefcakes wearing sleeveless shirts and bike gloves, really winding up the pitch at the milk bottle game. No way. Your team. No, no, no. I can smell the Irish Spring from here, and you know I like them rough. Okay, then. Uh, your team. The Tristafarians over there. She nods towards a cluster of college hippies, white kids with dreads, some digging through a trash can, some dancing to an irregular drum beat played by one of their kin. Liz looks, but her eyes flash with recognition. Oh my god, Kilo! Hey! She catches the attention of Kilo, 24, who pops up from the garbage can, all lanky elbows and shades of beige. Liz, what's up? You know these people? Come on, I'll introduce you. She yanks Jenna by the hand towards the group, weaving through the other beachgoers. Liz and Kilo hug for a long time, long enough that Jenna shifts weight from one foot to the other until finally they part enough for Kilo to wave her in. Bring it in too, little sister. Jenna gives a tight smile before joining in, breathing in the smell of nog champa and stale weed. When they all part, Jenna breathes the free air again. Kilo, this is my best friend Jenna. She's been up in NorCal all summer. Jenna, Kilo. Nice to meet you. Instead of saying anything, Kilo presses his hands to his forehead in a namaste gesture and does a little bow. Liz leans casually against the trash can, which unintentionally closes Jenna off just a half step behind her. Kilo and I met at one of Max Gilman's parties a few weeks back. Yeah, we met on this consciousness then, right? No, you're so right. They have some shared language that Jenna can pick up on, but not tap into. That's cool. How do you know Max? Kilo smiles broadly, pushing one of his dreads from his forehead with a hand still wrapped around a discarded bottle. Yeah, I like, uh, sell his brother ecstasy. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah, it is cool. Jenna clears her throat awkwardly until Kilo's eyes turn back to Liz. Hey, are you doing anything right now? No, not really. Why don't you come down to the beach with us? We've got a bonfire going, a couple of beers. You in? Yeah, rad. What do you think, Jen? Jenna looks skeptically back at Liz, answering out of diplomacy rather than personal will. Me? Yeah, no, whatever, you... No, seriously, if you don't want to. No, yeah, whatever. Sounds like a yes to me. Hey, grab those cans over there, would you? Star and the girls are making a mandala out of found object d'art. Looking back to where he points, Liz and Jenna retrieve a couple of Bud Light cans from the boardwalk railing. Again, we pull to a wide as they bring them back to Kilo, then follow him and his friends further down the boardwalk. Exterior, beach. Walking several yards behind the rowdy bunch, still drumming that too familiar drum circle beat, Jenna is quiet. Look, we really don't have to hang out if you're not comfortable. No, it's fine. Really, I, I don't care. She nudges Liz with an elbow. You didn't say anything about parting with Max Gilman. I thought you said you were bored. Yeah, exactly. Really, those guys are so boring. All they want to do is sit in the hot tub and talk about basketball. Like, I'm supposed to care about basketball? And then you met Kilo? Or his... consciousness or whatever? Yes, and that was not boring. They approach a bonfire, already burning on the sand. 
In the distance, a few young women dressed in billowing patterned linens and bare arms kneel in the sand, arranging objects to trash. I know what you're thinking. You don't have to say it. What? I didn't say anything. Exactly. And I know what that means when you do that. You think I'm being stupid? No, I don't. I, I didn't say that. They pause at the edge of the fire's light as the others crash down into the sand behind them. Really, it's not what you think. I think you'll actually find Kilo as a cool guy once you get to know him. And he's not some shady drug pusher. He's, like, very wise. He went to a rabbinical school. I would have guessed. If you're just uncomfortable and want to go... I'm not uncomfortable. I just didn't know you were into this kind of stuff now. I'm not judging. She says unconvincingly. Everyone's looking at us. It's getting awkward. Let's just sit down, okay? It's fine. I'm fine. Jenna leads the way to sit down, Liz rolling her eyes matter-of-factly behind her. One of Kilo's friends offers them both beers, Jenna barely catching hers, the top rolling into the sand. Everyone around is laughing and happy and free-spirited, free-loving, carefree. Liz clinks her can against Jenna's. Lime! Liz chugs the beer with an expectant look, and Jenna wipes sand from hers with the tail of her flannel, then cracks it open. She takes a breath, then a slug, controlling her face as best she can as it goes down bitterly, after taste of sand and seaweed. Later, Jenna looks into the fire with a deepening sense of isolation. Liz is caught up, bouncing between two different conversations, effortless as her curls bob this way and that. Surrounded by people, Jenna feels alone and invisible. The grief is starting to swell in the pit of her stomach, like the crashing waves on the tide, unavoidable. Her eyes move dryly to the black horizon. Trying to rein in the spiral, Jenna focuses on something she can see, the ocean, the fire, faces through the heat. She focuses on something she can touch, sinking her fingers into the sand until she feels cold resistance. Something she can hear, the ocean, crackles on aluminum in the fire, voices on the roller coaster in the distance, and nothing works. Jenna takes the last unpleasant gulp from her beer, then tosses the can into the fire. She stands more abruptly than planned. Liz notices, stopping mid-sentence. I'm gonna go try and find somewhere to pee. Go pee in the ocean. Jenna gives an unconvincing laugh. Her smile dies away as she hurries from the fire. She wanders past the women in their mandala, towards a shadowy patch of brush towards the boardwalk. Muffled voices emerge from the darkness under the stilts, pushing Jenna away back to the surf. She just wants to be alone. Her hand's not in front of her chest, something to feel. See, touch, hear, touch hands, see ocean, hear ocean, grip hands tighter, feel hands, feel ocean. Before she knows it, she's standing at the edge of the tide in the dark area where the sand becomes dense, breathing somewhat heavily. The next wave crashes over her feet and legs, shaking her back to right now with a cold snap. Shrieking, she backs away, shoes soaked. She can't help but choke a strangled laugh at the silliness. She then senses someone else. Behind her, some distant yards away, is a barely visible figure, likely male, also turned to watch the ocean. Returning sheepishly to silence, Jenna trudges back towards the raging bonfire, squishing water from her shoes with each step. Once she's back at the fire, she sits again at Liz's side. What happened? Did you fall in? Before Jenna can answer, a young man approaches from the other direction, coming into the firelight. He looks no older than 22, but seems world-weary and well-traveled. Am I late? Jade, the young man, faces Kilo, but his eyes meet Jenna's and linger there. Yo, no worries, man. Sean, pass him a beer. Jade traces through the sand to a gap in the circle, coincidentally, right across from Liz and Jenna. He has dark hair, chin-length and asymmetrical, wearing all black in an outfit that crosses several eras, but works in all of them. As he sits, Jenna can feel his eyes through the waves of heat in the crackling flames. Liz leans over, whispering with her can covering her lips. My team. What? You can't call someone for your own team. Fine, then he's on both of our teams. He seems pretty into you. He's staring at us. Jenna slumps down, feeling sure that he's looking at Liz. They're always looking at Liz. 
As if he's heard them, Jade looks away, smiling in response to the conversation going on around him. He takes out a cigarette, lighting it with a match. You know, it's not even a competition with you. You just decide that you've already lost. You really need to work on your confidence. But yes, I do think I'm getting a vibe. And this helps my confidence how? Maybe he's into both of us. Ew, dude. What? Europeans like that two-on-one shit. They're very liberated, you know, because of the war. Jenna curls her lip in exasperation, looking down at her watch. Shit, it's almost ten. I should head home. God, I can't believe you still have a curfew. Nonetheless, she stands up alongside Jenna with a wobble, finishing her beer. She tosses it carelessly in the direction of the trash mandala. Heading out already? Yeah, I, uh, have, um, yep. Liz, if you want to stay. No, no, I'll ride home with you. She ruffles her curls, yawning. Thanks for the invite, Kilo. I'll see you around sometime. The wheel weaves as the wheel wills, baby. He sends them both off with a peace signal. Jenna steals a last glance at Jade, now looking distantly into the fire, light flickering on his cheekbones. They walk away, and his eyes follow once more. Exterior boardwalk. Liz and Jenna reach the top of the stairs back onto the boardwalk. Barefoot, Liz holds onto Jenna's shoulder for stability as she slides her sandals on. While the games and rides are still open, the demographic at the boardwalk has definitely shifted. Family's gone home to bed, leaving the freaks to come out for scraps. They pass a college-aged couple, having a drunken makeout against the painted wall of a kiosk, and Liz pinches Jenna's arm. Giving you ideas. Jesus, Liz. You really liked that guy, didn't you? You haven't said a word since we left. Jenna avoids answering, looking straight ahead, jaw set. Oh, come on. You know he was looking at you. And girl, you can have him. He's hot, but I bet money he's got a heroin thing. You think so? Why the coat? It's like 80 degrees out. The arms, get it? No, I mean... You think he was looking at me? Liz rolls her eyes at Jenna's naivete as they turn the corner to the bike rack, most of the bikes now gone. Jenna reaches into her backpack to pull out the key for her lock, but looks around blankly, eyes moving from Liz's still-unlocked bike to the space where hers should be. Where's my bike? Uh, isn't that it, over there? Jenna looks, but already knows it isn't there. She stands dumbly, the key held in her hand, and her eyes hot, not with tears, but with controlled rage. Fuck this fucking place. Shit, Jen, I'm sorry. Jenna shakes her head, bitterly silent. The shot pulls once more to the wide, the voyeur perspective, watching the two girls from afar. Jade stands underneath a moth-buzzed street lamp, next to the boardwalk railing, hands in his pockets. Back at the rack, Liz is awkwardly gripping her handlebars, watching Jenna stare at the cement. She clenches the now-useless bike key so hard that her knuckles are white. Everything okay? You didn't see anyone walk off with a bike, did you? Don't think so. Avoiding eye contact, Jenna shoves the key into a pocket, slipping her backpack over her shoulder. It's fine. I'll just walk. Wait, do you need a ride? I've had a few beers, but I'm cool to drive. Liz elbows Jenna instinctively, forgetting that she's in no state. Jenna shoots her a glance. I don't think we were introduced. I'm Jade. He stretches out his hand, which Liz takes first, saying her name. He then reaches towards Jenna, who meets his eyes for the first time, the hard knit of her eyebrows softening. She places her hand in his, and his eyes seem to gleam just momentarily brighter. Jenna. Nice to meet you. If Jade holds onto her hand just a moment longer, his fingers flexing just so after they part, it goes unnoticed. So, you need a lift? No, no, that's fine. Uh, we don't live too far. Thanks anyway. She wheels her unwieldy beach cruiser off the curb, smiling tightly back in his direction as Jenna walks with her. Anytime. Be safe out there. The girls continue up the street, walking close, Jenna folding her arms in her flannel tighter around her body. Once they've put distance between them and the boardwalk, Liz looks back pointedly over her shoulder. Be safe out there. <laughs> Jenna doesn't answer. The anger on her face has passed, but she's somewhere else, lost in waves of thought. Against the side of her ribcage, Jenna's fingers flex. 
exterior Jenna's house. In another wide, the two arrive to Jenna's. Liz gives her a hug goodbye and says something out of earshot before waving and stepping onto her bike, disappearing at the corner. Jenna looks around momentarily at the mostly dark neighborhood before going up the overgrown path. She feels just the slightest twinge of being watched. Interior Jenna's house. Jenna comes through the back door, gingerly setting down sand-covered shoes. The only light is the kitchen light left on. A small Tupperware of soup sits on the counter with a note. Eat something healthy. Going to bed. Love, Mom. Jenna peels off the note, folding it angrily into a tinier and tinier square before dropping it into her open mouth. She puts the Tupperware into the fridge and pours herself a glass of water at the tap, which she stands and drinks in one long go. She then turns off the kitchen light and makes her way as silently as possible up the creaking stairs. Interior Jenna's bedroom. Once inside her room, Jenna turns on the nightstand light, a rotating projector which casts stars and moons on the walls. She digs the key from her pocket and the grief rises. Here, at least, it's safe. She goes to the desk, looking at the picture of her dad stuck to the mirror. A few sad, ragged breaths fight loose. Pulling open one of the desk drawers, Jenna digs underneath an assortment of papers, stickers, junk, pulling out a worn cigar box. Inside, a crumpled pack of cigarettes sits atop other mementos and heirlooms, little ticket stubs, scraps of his handwriting. With a well-practiced sort of routine, Jenna pushes a pile of clothing into the crack between the door and the hardwood floor. She goes to the window, unlatching it and sitting on the sill, her knee dangling outside. Jenna lights one of the cigarettes from the dwindling, special pack. As she smokes it, she looks out of the neighborhood once more, everything vacant and dark. The moon is just over half full. We linger in this moment a while, watching Jenna feel empty and haunted and out of control. All is grief all around. Exterior forest night dream sequence. The camera moves slow and determined through a forest, the only light a flashlight type beam shining ahead, shaking with each perceived step. The trees open up to a clearing. In the center of the clearing, a wide shimmering surface, like a pond, like a portal, edged closer to the reflective pool. It's too deep for the light to shine through, instead lapping at the dead leaves around the edge of the strange water, only the top inch of water turning milky gray. End dream. Interior, Jenna's bedroom. Startling awake just as the light hits the water, Jenna sits up in the dark. Heavy rain patters on the open window, rainwater puddling underneath the sill. Jenna gets out of bed. She closes the window, her hand lingering on the sash in uncertainty. Had she closed it? Had she left it open with the heat? Getting back into bed, she turns her back to the window and the mirror on the opposite wall. She draws the covers closer. On the fogged window glass, as a distant crack of lightning shows across the cloudy sky like the blitz, the unmistakable shape of a handprint becomes visible. Interior vintage clothing store, day. Liz and Jenna are browsing, the store filled with haze and dust of yesteryear. On the counter, an Amsahand incense burner laden with ash streams heavily scented smoke into the cavernous space. Liz is clearly more interested in the fashion, Jenna mostly following idly and brushing a hand against this or that. We pick up in the middle of their conversation. Well, I'm sorry you had a bad time. I didn't have a bad time. I just wish I hadn't have gone if it meant my dad's bike was on the line. Liz makes a face, and Jenna backpedals. I'm not blaming you. I'm just saying. Sure. It's just weird being back with normal people enough as it is. And, you know, that's definitely not my crowd. Okay, no offense, but I think I pretty much make up your crowd. She gives Jenna an arch look, extracting a fringed beaded jacket from the rack with a gentle gasp. I do have other friends. Well, what's wrong with Kilo? He's chill, he's funny. He deals drugs to high schoolers. Like, that's a crime. It is literally a crime. Well, it shouldn't be. And anyway, Max is 18. That's an adult, remember? He can make his own choices. 
She puts the fringe jacket back, letting her hands rest on the beaded shoulder. She turns to Jenna with surprising earnesty. Look, I'm not asking you to like Kilo or his friends. I didn't want to guilt you about going to sad camp, but it was really weird with you gone and me here, and I don't know. I guess I just feel like I better get used to it. Get used to what? You have tons of friends at school. Everyone loves you. Yeah, at school. But what if you decide you don't actually want to hang around all year? Jenna reacts with surprise, not sure what to say. So, so Kilo's my replacement? I didn't say that. You're irreplaceable, babe. One of a kind. Kilo's just different. He sees beyond this neo-corporate maze to what's really going on. Liz moves to another rack, slipping out of her vulnerability as quickly as she slipped in, leaving Jenna to look down somberly at the fringe jacket. You know, you make me sound like I'm in the Young Republicans or something. I'm open-minded. I try stuff. I I do things now. Oh, really? Yeah, really. Like what? Uh, Maybe I smoked some pot with my bunkmate. Some pot? Oh, well, in that case. Well, maybe I did it a few times. Smoking pot doesn't even count as anything anymore, Jen. Everyone in California smokes pot. We're smoking pot just being in the store. She laughs, bending double. Honestly, I thought you were going to tell me you got felt up by a camp counselor or something. Some pot. So cute. Jenna moves off to a display of hats nearby, feeling her cheeks burn and regretting that she had said anything at all. Behind her, Liz pulls out one of those rare treasures, a mini crochet dress, all black, with full bell sleeves. Twiggy meets the craft. Hello, beautiful. What? She leaves the hat rack, wearing a truly ridiculous floppy hat, and admires the delicate garment at Liz's side. Look at this. It doesn't even have a label. It must have been handmade. Here, turn around. What? Why? Look at her, Jen. She's not going to fit this Botticelli body. Turn around. Let's see. Liz spins Jenna around, holding the dress up to Jenna's back like a mom shopping at Mervyn's. It's perfect for you. Go try it on. Uh, No, I I don't know. I I hate how I look in dresses. My knees are weird. You're wearing shorts right now. Just go put it on, all right? Have fun for a minute. Jesus. Reluctantly, Jenna exchanges the floppy hat for the dress, going into a nearby changing booth and closing the thick curtain behind her. In the meantime, Liz puts the hat on herself, looking like a cherub in a 1920s catalog, as she preens in front of a narrow mirror. All right, here it is. Liz looks and gasps. Oh, fuck you. It looks so good. You think so? Are you kidding? It's like it was made for you. You have to get it. Looking at herself in the mirror, Jenna turns one way, then the other. Even she can't tamp down the curl of her lips, feeling like someone else. Well, how much is it? Liz searches for the tag, finding a small handwritten hang tag attached to the inside of the sleeve. Christ, are you sure you want to know? How much? Like, I can't afford it, or I can't afford to look at it? Well... Jenna pulls her arm up to where she can see the tag herself, and her eyes go wide. Oh, yep, it's coming off. Very, very carefully. Yeah, it's a damn shame, too. Some wealthy young widow is going to look drop-fucking-dead in that dress. Exterior Vintage Clothing Store. Exiting the shop, Liz holds a plastic smiley face bag seemingly full of paisley, while Jenna wears a pair of comically narrow sunglasses. Thanks for these. Yeah, happy birthday. Leaning against a pillar near the store's entrance, Jade stands, smoking a cigarette and speaking in an unfamiliar language with another guy his age, Cristiano, 23, long black hair. They all catch sight of each other. Cool sunglasses. Thanks. Jenna pulls them off, embarrassed, looking at Liz. What, are you stalking us? (laughs) Not a very good strategy if I'm stalking you out in the open, is it? He bites the bottom corner of his lip to show that he's joking, but the flash in his eye would suggest something else. No, but you seem to have a pretty uncanny knack for showing up where we are. Maybe it's fate. He smiles at Liz, but not with his eyes. 
Turning to Jenna, his face changes, like he knows an inside joke between them. So you like old dusty stuff? Well, she does. You'd like our place. Much more interesting relics over there. Cristiano, a 300-year-old vampire. He exchanges a look with Cristiano, who bares his teeth, snorting in laughter. Liz, generally preferring to be the bearer of charisma, not the receiver, clucks her tongue. Fascinating. Well, we'd better move along. She threads her arm through Jenna's, wearing an expression that says, in fewer words, This guy is not my kind of guy. Hey, don't go yet. I promise I'm not stalking. But I did regret last night that I didn't invite you to our friend's poetry reading. You interested? Liz looks exasperatedly at Jenna, who has been mostly quiet up until now. I'm not. Is he any good? Cristiano laughs. She is very good, but new in town. Nobody knows her yet. Oh, perfect. Okay, we'll go. We will? Liz looks at Jenna in genuine shock. Yeah. What? Yeah, yes, we'll be there. Pooh. It's at the coffee shop near campus, you know it? Nine o'clock. Sure. See you then. She says this over her shoulder as Liz is already steering them hastily down a corner, getting them out of sight. Once they're down the alleyway, Liz stops short, putting her hand on her hip with such force that the plastic bag flops dully against her thigh. Okay, wow. Am I on PCP? Is this an extended dream sequence? You said yes to the amateur poetry reading that's happening tonight past your bedtime? It sounded interesting. Uh-huh. I read poetry. You're not interested in that, and neither is he. What happened to making your own choices, hmm? I'm 18. Liz can hear the air quotes, the sudden assertiveness, and pauses for a moment, finally speaking as though it actually pains her to say these words. I just think you should maybe be a little careful. Why does he keep showing up? He keeps showing up because there are two things to do in this town. Right, but you don't think it's... Like, a little weird? And what about your bike? Like, what if he knew it was yours and stole it so you'd have to take him up on a ride? Do you realize how crazy that sounds? He he didn't even know us until he met us at Kilo's thing, which, might I remind you, was your idea to attend. Yeah, but— But what? How is this different than yesterday? Liz doesn't really have a comeback, just a gut feeling, but she knows Jenna won't take the vibes are off for an answer. We're just going to a poetry reading, Liz. She starts down the alley towards the main street and their homes, but Liz calls back firmly with sudden seriousness. You know, you don't have to prove anything to me. What? She looks at Liz, and Liz opens her mouth but closes it again, shaking her head. She catches up to Jenna, sighing. Ugh, I still can't believe that amazing dress. It really was so perfect. You looked like the Asian fruit was a bulk. Oh my god, thank you. Exterior, coffee shop, night. Later on, now dressed in different, more eclectic outfits, Liz and Jenna walk up to the coffee shop. It's named after a famous vampire, modeled after Lestat's in San Diego. A wall of tinted windows reflects little red string lights. Jenna fidgets with her outfit, a borrowed leather jacket from Liz and tucked-in shirt over ripped black shorts. She wears a small, heirloom-looking cross at her neck. Stop fidgeting. You're only making yourself more uncomfortable. I don't know how it could be possible for me to feel any less comfortable right now. You're the one who said yes to this, and no, I will not ever let you forget it. Just fake it, okay? You're calm, you're cool, you don't care, right? Right. No, I don't care. Why should I care? We're just hanging out. Right. Right. Liz may pity Jenna, but she seems like the type who's never once let nerves get in the way of enjoying a social situation. Look, I'll give you some advice from a semi-professional. Guys are simple. You don't have to get all tangled up about it. If he likes you, he'll show you. You said that about Mike Hawkins, and he ended up trying to get me to give him a hand job during Beverly Hills Cop. Exactly. He showed you, didn't he? So I'll know he likes me if he asks me for a hand job. You guys are early. 
This time, Jade's usual sudden arrival is preceded by the jangling bell of the coffee shop door, but hardly enough to stop Jenna from looking so flustered she might faint. He smiles, putting a cigarette in his mouth. How do you do it? Do you have, like, stocky senses or something? Saw you through the window. He lights the cigarette, then beckons for them to follow him around the side of the building. Come on, I'll introduce you to my friends. They go around. Skillfully, Jade times his pace and position to match Jenna's, happening to be walking at her side before she realizes it. He offers her the cigarette, looking at her wordlessly, her well-hidden, well-practiced secret. She glances at Liz, busy avoiding puddles in her open-toed sandals, before taking the cigarette herself. As the three of them round the building again, they reach a small back patio, cloudy with smoke and fluttering moths. Exterior coffee shop back patio. Cristiano from before sits with one leg crossed in a wiry chair, facing Agnes, a tall and lithe young woman with dark, cascading hair. A few others are scattered about, including Alex, a nervous and definitely out-of-their-mind type. In the depths of a heated conversation, Agnes gestures wildly until she catches sight of Jade and the girls. Hey guys, these are the girls I met last night. Liz, Jenna, and this is Agnes, Alex, and Cristiano, of course. In turn, they say hello or shake hands with Liz and Jenna, Agnes shifting with great purpose on her long limbs to lean towards the girls and kiss each of their cheeks, Spanish style. Always such beautiful girls here in the States. This one's like a silent film star, no? She points her burning cigarette in Liz's direction before turning her cutting gaze to Jenna. Ah, but this one, deep and unknowable. Eyes like a well. Sorry, a what? A well, like for water. Is it the word for drinking or drowning? She's moved closer and is now cupping Jenna's face with her long hand, spooky serious. She's not sure where to look to avoid Agnes's intense gaze. With a note of warning in his voice, Jade cuts the moment. Agnes. In response, Agnes drops her hand, makes another clicking noise with her tongue, and smiles cryptically at Jenna. She retreats to the low wall where she had been leaning before, not saying anything else. Liz and Jenna exchange a quick glance, the expression on Liz's face clearly saying, what the fuck was that? Jade nudges Jenna's elbow, the warning look gone. Come on, coffees are on me. See you all inside, yeah? He nods to his friends, who acknowledge him in return, Cristiano leaning over to speak to Agnes again. Never thought of you as particularly well-like before. Oh, shut up. Jade opens the back door of the shop for Liz and Jenna, then follows them inside. Interior coffee shop. The coffee shop is busy with patrons and poetry fans, liberal yup-yups and Gen X do-nothings. The atmosphere is warm, everything in second wave velvet and dark wood. Jade, holding a mug, finds a spot at the couch near the front of the shop. He sits at one end, making Jenna take the middle spot between he and Liz once more. Jenna starts talking out of nervousness. So is this like a... Um... A regular thing? I mean, do they do this reading night often? I don't think I've heard of it. Have you, Liz? I think I've been to one before. I don't know. Oh, well, it's cool. <laughs> I don't know. I, I think it's cool. I guess I should have realized there'd be stuff like this around here, you know, with the college and everything. Uh, do you go to, um, uh, go to the college? No. Jenna clears her throat, eyeing Liz, who scans the crowd for faces she might recognize without even realizing. Oh, shit. Is that Ashley Murphy? I better say hi. She jumps up, leaving Jenna and Jade alone. Jade settles in, looking at Jenna as though he's grateful to have her alone. She smiles awkwardly at him in return, then looks down at her very full, very large cappuccino cup. You like poetry, then? Yeah, I guess. I mean, I don't really know any poems or anything, like, off the top of my head. Oh, no? I signed you up right after Agnes. Oh, great. I think I'll just duck into the bathroom and end my life first. She pretends to get up from the couch, and Jade laughs, playfully grabbing her wrist. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Sit down. Jenna's heart thud-thuds in her chest when he touches her. Her eyes move to his gentle grip on her wrist as she sits back down. 
So, uh, how do you know Agnes? We met in Barcelona. She's actually quite well known there as a writer. Just friends, you know. Oh, I didn't think... I mean, I, I wasn't going to ask. Well, now you don't have to. He has a way of seeing through Jenna, even passing glances magnetic. Jenna's eyes linger, but she breaks away to look for Liz, who's now crouched down at the side of a table, talking. I hear Barcelona is, like, amazing. Well, Liz and I want to do a backpacking trip once she's done with school. Yeah, it's a good city. Tons of artists, musicians. Berlin's a good city, too. He winks over his coffee cup. This is it, the spark that ignites something clearly beyond friendship, fleeting as it might be. It definitely feels different than Mike Hawkins in an empty movie theater. Is that where you're from? Berlin? No. The Germany I come from doesn't exist anymore. Oh, because of the wall? Yeah, you could say that. He notices the small cross at Jenna's neck. His face changes a bit, almost stern, as he looks at it. You're religious. Oh, not really. My dad was. Jade leans back, understanding. The hardness in his jaw disappears, and he looks ready to say more, but the lights dim. Suddenly, Liz is back, and the dynamic shifts and cools, Jenna feeling extremely aware of herself again. The crowd hushes, Agnes emerging from the back of the shop to a chorus of quiet snaps and subdued clapping. Reverence fills the air. At the front of the shop, a single microphone has been set up as a makeshift stage in front of the large picture windows. Agnes stands still there a moment, heightening the anticipation with her silence. Then she runs her long hands through long hair and presses her naturally dark lips to the microphone. Agnes begins to recite a poem, the words reverberating through the whole shop. Each pause punctuates the echo. Liz is quickly enthralled, edging forward on the couch. Jenna, listening intently, becomes suddenly even more aware of how present she feels, the checklist of her senses running wild even without trying. Her eyelids are heavy. She sinks back with forced control into the couch, her breathing slowing but growing shallow. She becomes aware of Jade's arm rested on the couch above her shoulder. Then it's around her. She wants to look at him, but it's difficult to do so, her own heartbeat thundering between Agnes's words. It's like a spell weaving around her. Jenna finally manages to turn her head, seeing Jade looking back at her, and it cuts through everything. A cry comes hollow from within. What death divides will be whole again. Exterior forest, night, vision. The camera returns to the reflective pool from earlier. The sounds of the forest mingle with Agnes's continued poem. The light is on the water, but the black depth is impenetrable. With a sudden, terrible gasp, a dark-haired figure bursts from the black pond, thin arms clutching wildly at the forest floor and heaving itself up as though from the grave. The form is recognizably female, but the gasping mouth is black on the inside, streaming with the inky, sooty water of the pond as its face contorts in the agony of its birth. End vision. Exterior coffee shop back patio. Jenna blinks, not realizing at first where she is. She's coming to without knowing that she was out. She sits on the low wall behind the coffee shop, now empty except for her and Jade, sitting next to her. His hand steadies her shoulder. Oh my god. Did I pass out or something? No. No, you just said you were feeling dizzy, so we came outside. Take a breath, it's okay. He smiles comfortingly, taking some deep breaths in solidarity, Jenna's embarrassment seeming to dissipate. Better? Yeah. Sorry to ruin the reading. You really can go back in. Jade takes out a cigarette, shrugging. That's all right. I've heard Agnes read plenty of times. He offers Jenna one, and she takes it, this time with far less hesitation in the privacy of the two of them. And does she always have this effect on people? She only steals the souls of young, beautiful women, so we'll have to get you out of here, won't we? Two out of three's a risk, I guess. 
He stands, holding out his hand for her to take. She looks at him like he's joking, but he regards her with importance. Come on, I'm serious. Where would we go? To the beach. We can watch the moon rise. He's got big manic pixie energy, unpredictable and exciting. Jenna thinks it over, biting the inside of her cheek. She takes his hand right as the coffee shop back door claps open, a large and raucous group of people spilling out, including Agnes and Liz. Jenna drops Jade's hand. Jenna! Oh, God, I was wondering where you went. Are you okay? Fine. Yeah, just got dizzy. She's amazing, isn't she? I've never met anyone like her or heard anything like that. God damn. So, glad we came after all then. What? Well, yeah, I never said I didn't want to come. Oh, yeah, Jade. Drinks at the house for everyone, see? Interrupted by the loud crowing of Agnes's voice, all three of them look over. Liz looks back, glowing. We're going, right? Oh, um... Let her go with them. Come down to the beach with me. Actually, Liz, uh, we were talking about going down to the water. Oh, oh, well, then let's do that. Well, you can still go. Uh, We'll catch up at their place later, okay? Oh, okay. Is that okay? Okay with me. Is it okay with you? The defensive round of conversation confuses them both, and Jade steps in. You'll be in good hands, Liz. Just don't drink anything Agnes pours. She's got a heavy hand. He smiles at Liz, but this time there's a twinkle of malice in the corners of his lips. You're okay, right? Yes, just go. I can hold my own. You'll be busy holding his. She sticks out her tongue but pulls Jenna into a hug, taking the opportunity to hiss in Jenna's ear. You really fucking owe me, all right? They part, and Liz gives Jenna a significant look before swaying her hips back to the group and to Agnes's beckoning gesture. Jenna can't help but wonder if she's the one doing Liz a favor by letting her shine on her own. Already starting towards the corner of the building, hands in his pockets, Jade cocks his head toward Jenna, begging her along, teeth sinking hungrily into his lower lip. She looks back one more time, then follows. Exterior cave entrance. Picking their way along a tumble of rocks, Jade walks ahead of Jenna. Dark waves crash on the surf nearby. Soon they reach a clearing in the rocks that gives way to blackish sand. I thought you said the beach, not the center of the goddamn earth. (laughs) Trust me, it's worth it. Jade hops from a large rock, looking back at her with a boyish expression as he pushes his hair out of his eyes. He helps her down. They stand at the entrance of a craggy cave cut into the natural cliffs and boardwalk above. It's a primordial place, a portal to nowhere, abyss-like in the blue twilight. Exterior cave pool. The sand stretches into the cave, which arcs up and overhead for dozens of feet. The walls all around have been smoothed by millions of tides. As Jade leads Jenna further into the cave, the sand slopes back down, giving way to a wide pool. Jenna stares into the water, feeling something familiar. Looking up, she notices a chimney-like hole opened up to the night sky. Jade's voice echoes in the enclosed space. You want to get in? I didn't bring my swimsuit. So? Neither did I. She turns, and he's already taking off his jacket. Jenna notices that his arms are dotted with scratchy teenage tattoos and some permanent scarring in the pits of his elbows that vaguely call to mind something Liz had said. Jenna doesn't linger on this thought. She can't. Jade unbuckles his belt, looking at her with that challenging air. It's like a craving, a hungry animal drawing out its prey. Jenna wheels around out of blushing instinct, looking back at the water with rising interest. She takes a breath. Is this really happening? She runs a hand through her hair. Intercut. Interior Agnes's house. Several people clink together shot glasses filled with clear liquid, then throw them back. Liz and Agnes are among them, as well as Cristiano and the others. Taking a heated breath as the anise-flavored spirit makes its way down her throat, Liz looks to be perfectly in her element. Agnes shouts unintelligibly, pouring shots again from a clear but antique-looking bottle. Exterior cave pool. Jenna slips her arms out of her jacket. She strips down to her very plain-looking underwear, back still turned to Jade. 
Her hand pauses on her cross necklace, sending a shiver up her spine. After a moment's thought, she fumbles with the clasp. Jade steps behind her, helping to unhook it. He takes it off, the silver pendant swinging into his palm. He turns it over thoughtfully, then gives it back to her. Jenna tucks it carefully into her pocket, turning back to the water as Jade wades about waist deep. The water laps at the top of his black boxers. It's warmer than you think. She steps into the water, giving him a pointed look. Not warm, just warmer than you'd think. Jenna takes a breath, sinking deeper into the pool, meeting him and following him to the point that the ground drops off beneath them. He pulls her closer to him. She puts her arms on his shoulders, feeling his hand on her lower back, guiding her still closer. Jenna's breath is high in her chest, heart pumping in her throat. Fuck, he can probably see it trying to escape. Interior, Agnes's house. Liz sits on a very elegant old sofa between Agnes and Cristiano. He seems engaged with some other conversation, but Agnes has her head bent to Liz, whispering in her ear. Liz's face is pale, looking dangerously suggestible. She wipes a hand across her nose. The hand comes back smeared with blood. Exterior, cave pool. Jenna and Jade are very close together in the water now, her body weightless, as his hands and his thighs support her. Look up. She does. The moon, big and bright and soon to be full, has moved directly into the view of the cave's chimney hole, covered by a modest spray of misty clouds. As the mist clears, the moonlight fills the cave, the shimmering refractions now painting every wall. Oh, wow. I told you it would be worth it. Jenna looks back at him with a breathless, delighted smile. A moment passes in absolute stillness, the only sound the water against the edge of the sand and the roiling ocean outside. Then, they make out. Interior, Agnes's house. Liz staggers into the bathroom of Agnes's house, blood seeping through her hand over her nose. The color is such a dark red that it looks almost black. She grabs the tap with a smeary hand, letting the water run over her palm before putting her head over the sink and watching as the dark red silt black liquid drips and blends into the water. Looking up into the mirror, Liz realizes that her face is ashen and covered in what is now fully black, sooty streaks coming from her nose. As she draws closer, another jet black drip goes slipping down her upper lip. There's a knock on the door. Agnes's raspy voice comes from the other side. Liz? You all right? Yeah, I'm good. But she looks panicked. The dark black substance is coming faster now. In response, her mind seems to be tunneling away, going somewhere else. She hears Agnes call out again, but the sound is warbled, like she's underwater. Losing strength, Liz turns from the sink, trying to grab it to steady herself, but inevitably sliding to the ground, unconscious. End intercut. Interior, Jenna's bedroom. Jenna creeps into her bedroom, the hour unquestionably late. She holds her shoes in one hand as she closes the bedroom door without a sound. She leans back against it, running her free hand through her damp hair. Jenna can't stop smiling. She looks different, filled with life for once, unburdened by fear or grief or uncertainty. She sets her shoes down quietly, going to the window. Sure enough, Jade's on the street, walking away from the house. He turns as if he can feel her gaze. Walking backwards now, the corners of his mouth tick up into his secretive half-smile, waving goodbye to her. Jade nearly collides with someone out walking their dog, Jenna stifling laughter in her room, and apologizes hastily before tucking his hands into his pockets. He shoots her one last flirtatious glance and turns the corner. Once out of view, he draws his hand out, cupping Jenna's cross necklace in his palm. Stepping away from the window at last, Jenna flops breathlessly onto her bed, still in her jacket. She wanted this, and she got it. She did something for herself and herself alone. And in a rare departure from their usual dynamic, she isn't worried about Liz. She should be. Interior, Jenna's bedroom, day. The next day, Jenna wakes up, somewhat delirious. As she remembers, she looks as though she might have dreamt it. She sits up, suddenly feeling hot. She tugs off her jacket. The clock on the nightstand reads 2 p.m., and seeing the time sets off a chain reaction of realizations. Jesus, 2 o'clock? Shit, Liz, 
Oh my God. Oh my fucking God. She scrambles through her bedding to find her cordless phone, which is flashing to show a low battery. She dials Liz's number, muttering in the short amount of time before Liz answers. Please don't be mad. Please don't be mad. Please don't be mad. Hello? Hey! God, I'm so sorry about last night. I didn't mean to disappear on you. She takes a quick peek outside of her bedroom door, looking to Angie's room, which is open and empty. Jenna's alone. Interior, Liz's bedroom. Liz sits on her own bed, holding some unassuming-looking cloth on her lap. She's dressed in a very plain outfit compared to her usual fashions, pajama shorts and a tank top. She looks drained, but she's doing a great job faking normal on the phone. Mm Mm-hmm. What did I tell you? Well, it just got so late, and you know how my mom is. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm still sorry. In her bedroom, Jenna searches the pockets of her jacket, trying to keep the phone pressed to her ear. She can't find the necklace. I told you to be careful, didn't I? I was. We just made out a lot. Made out? You made out on the beach like the cover of a smutty porn novel? It was actually a cave by the chimney rock, you know? You let him take you to a cave as the second location where no one can hear you scream? Frustrated, Jenna abandons the search for the cross necklace. Look, it was fine. It was great, actually. I'm still alive. I'm actually thriving, and I really like him. Liz, in her room, bites her thumbnail. She looks like she has something to say, something that goes against the enthused and smitten tone of Jenna's voice. Instead of pressing it, Liz diverts. Hey, so do you want to rent a movie or something tonight? I don't know. It might be good to keep it low-key. I'm kind of hungover. Yeah, let's do it. I'll come by later, okay? Her voice catches, a hint of concern, but Jenna doesn't hear it or doesn't want to. They hang up. In her room, Jenna tosses the phone onto the bed, looking at herself in the mirror. She feels different. Liz hangs up her phone in her room. She looks down at the cloth in her lap. Stretching it now between her hands, it becomes clear that it's her dress from the night before. It's spattered with blood and dark stains now, running all down the front and completely saturating the fabric's pattern. It seems impossible that this amount of blood could have come from a nose. Liz crumples up the dress, shoving it underneath her bed violently, standing up and worrying her hands at her sides. On Liz's back, at the base of her neck, a deep bruise colors her skin. Interior Jenna's house, night. Liz and Jenna lean against the kitchen counter, watching an electric popcorn popper at work. Neither is saying much, watching the Alice Cooper Poison video on MTV in the living room. Angie comes through the backside door, covered in rain. She wears an EMT uniform under her drenched rain jacket. Goodness, it's really coming down. Hey, Lizzie. You staying over? She hangs her raincoat on a hook near the door, then peers into the fridge. Is that okay? Oh, of course. I'm beat, so I think I'll just go to bed, but you guys have fun. Did you already eat dinner? Yeah, we ate. Something healthy? Yeah. Shaking a can of SlimFast, she gives Jenna a pat on the shoulder, and Liz as well. Then she heads up the stairs. Once she's disappeared into the dark hallway, Liz smirks. You had a double-double in animal fries, liar. Lettuce, tomatoes, onions, potatoes... Those are all vegetables. The Alice Cooper video ends and a commercial begins. The popcorn popping slows, then stops. Jenna takes a large bowl from the cupboard and pours the popcorn in. So, are you going to see him again? Liz watches Jenna's face, probing for the reaction. Coyly, Jenna shrugs, avoiding Liz's eyes. I don't know. Do you want to? Like, do you hope to see him again? Okay, yeah, I, I hope to see him again. Why the third degree? I was just wondering... Aren't I entitled, since I am kind of your only friend? Entitled. That's one way to put it. I'm not going to dance around it, okay? Something must have happened to me last night. I don't remember getting home. Jenna grips the popcorn bowl. She looks at Liz, frowning. What do you mean? Just what I said. I was at this party, and I started getting this nosebleed, like, worse than any nosebleed I've ever had, like, choking on the blood coming out of my face, okay? Okay. 
And that's it. That's all I remember. I woke up at home. Are you sure you didn't just kind of drink too much and black out? Yes, I'm sure. It's like I just blinked and I was somewhere else back at home in the morning. How did I get there? Something had to have happened. I know it did. Jenna listens as best she can to Liz, but her mind wants to leap down every sentence in defense. If something happened, it's all her fault. I don't trust your guy, and I don't trust his friends. I knew that's where you were going with this. She snatches the popcorn bowl and moves to the living room, fighting anger. I'm not going anywhere. I'm telling you what happened. Or what didn't happen? I'm sorry, but how do you know? I'm not trying to say that it's not fucked up that you woke up at home, but is it not possible that you just told them where you live and they took you home like normal people? Jenna, if there's one thing we can agree on, it's that these people are not normal. Oh, and Kilo is? Don't bring him into this. No, I had a really great night. When I left, you were having a really great time too. And yes, I'm sorry I didn't come back, but you and I both know you were doing just fine without me, just like you always are. That's not the point. No, Liz, it is the point. When it's people you like, they're wise and chill and studied in the ways of the fucking Talmud. Even though they're drug dealers who sell drugs to high schoolers, and I'm supposed to just go along, like always, with whatever it is you're into, whatever you think is cool for the moment, and there's never any fucking room for me, okay? And when I finally meet this guy, this great guy who actually seems really interesting and interested in me for once, you're losing your fucking mind over what honestly sounds like a normal fucking night for you. Jenna takes an angry handful of popcorn and shoves it into her mouth, pressing play on the VHS remote. Harsh, Jen. I think you're jealous that he likes me and not you. I think you're ignoring some pretty huge red flags about Jade, including his sudden and intense interest in you just because he's hot. Yeah, Liz, he is hot. Face it, you wouldn't give a shit if he wasn't because you've been in plenty of worse situations that you needed me to get you out of. Oh, save the fucking invoice on our friendship, all right? I'm telling you what I saw, what I felt, and what I experienced, and if you don't want to believe me, fine. I'll be sure to mention how hot the murderer was when I'm talking to Keith Morrison on Dateline. Hopefully it doesn't take the police too long to locate your disfigured remains. Okay, well hopefully Kilo has a great explanation when you overdose on heroin in a rusted out bathtub like Jim fucking Morrison. Liz rolls her eyes so hard they threaten to exit her skull. Luckily, the movie begins, giving them both a reason to shut up and stew in their anger a while. Later, Rosemary's baby is reaching a critical, tense moment. The bowl of popcorn sits like an olive branch between them. Outside, the rain still pours. Just as the movie's soundtrack climbs, the light to the kitchen dims, then blinks, then goes out. Jenna and Liz dive for each other, both grabbing onto each other's arms and spilling the popcorn bowl with a clatter onto the floor. Jesus Christ. She and Jenna lock eyes, the irritation melted away by pure fear. It's probably just the rain getting in the, the fuse box or whatever. Yeah. She eases her grip on Jenna, but any hint of calm is quickly stamped out by the TV, inexplicably turning back on, the VHS player whirring back into action. Despite all of the house still flooded in darkness, the movie starts where it left off, but now playing backwards. Not rewinding, playing at full speed, backwards, the sound warped as it too reverses on itself. The girls watch in stunned fear for a few moments before Jenna gets the sense to grab the remote and shut the TV off. That was weird. Yeah, weird. She's nodding, wide-eyed from the couch. Liz is rarely speechless, but she is now. Maybe we should just go up to my room? Yeah. They're both comforted by the idea of retreating to a safer, more enclosed space. Liz tries to scoop the scattered popcorn back into the bowl while Jenna goes to the light switch near the stairs, flicking it on and off without result. Walking on tiptoes in fear, Liz takes the bowl to the kitchen. Her eyes nervously search the windows. 
A blast of lightning rips across the sky outside, illuminating the living room in a flash. When it does, Liz and Jenna both see a dark figure outside of the window. Terrified, the girls hurry together up the stairs, fumbling their way to Jenna's bedroom. When they reach the top of the stairs and her bedroom door, the power downstairs jolts back on. Whispering so that they won't wake Angie, Liz and Jenna try to crane their necks to see if they can still make out the figure. Do you see anyone? No, but they could still be there. Should we wake your mom up? I don't know. Maybe they'll just leave. She reaches into her bedroom, very cautiously trying the light switch on the wall. To their relief, it turns on. Jenna gestures for Liz to follow her into the room, and they close the door behind them. Interior, Jenna's bedroom. The two sit shaken on Jenna's floor, the stark overhead light still bathing them. They're playing a very distracted, jumpy game of Uno. Jenna's clock shows 12.29. Liz puts a card down, watching Jenna watch the rain on her bedroom window. Jenna, come on, it's your move. What? Oh. I don't even know. My brain is so cooked. I think I might just want to go to bed. Yeah, me too. She gathers up their cards, unbothered. Stacking them, Liz sets them on Jenna's nightstand as Jenna pulls out her pajamas. Jenna pauses at the door. She looks back. I'm sorry about earlier. I'm sorry, too. That's all they have the energy for, both wanting to simply move forward and forget. Jenna leaves the room. Interior Jenna's bathroom. Jenna brushes her teeth in front of the mirror. She hasn't forgotten the words and the mood of the fight, utterly drained. She leans close to the mirror, using a finger to pull down her lower eyelid and examine the minuscule veins in her eye. The bathroom door is closed. As Jenna shifts her weight from one foot to another, water starts to slowly seep under the door. On the white tile, it's clear that it is not just clear water, but water tinged with dark silt, almost gray, almost black. Jenna spits her toothpaste into the sink and rinses her mouth. The water is still seeping, like a bathtub left running, but coming inside and towards her. Just as it's about to reach Jenna's feet, she steps away, drying her face with a towel hanging above the tub. Once dry, she doesn't notice the water. She walks out of the bathroom, recoiling when she steps in the puddle. Ugh, ew. She looks up to the ceiling, but can't make out if there's a leak in the window. She grabs a hand towel and throws it down on the ground, using her foot to wipe this way and that, then kicking the towel aside to the corner. Interior Jenna's bedroom. The girls are both sleeping. Jenna lays curled in her bed, Liz in a sleeping bag on the floor. An hour or so has passed since they went to bed. The bedroom door opens, slowly. The female figure from Jenna's vision slash dream hunches along the floor, wraith-like, her feet making the squelching wet sound of mud and silt on hardwood. It doesn't seem like she's able to stand upright, something broken about her. Instead, she drags herself along the floor, past Liz's sleeping body. Slowly, so slowly, the figure comes to Jenna's bedside, just tall enough when hunching to see eye to eye. The figure reaches out to gently stroke Jenna's folded arm with a long, wet, hopeful finger. When she touches Jenna, the figure's mouth opens in unhinged delight. She heaves in silent laughter, pushing her whole hand haltingly around Jenna's wrist, then tightening her grip. Jenna's face reacts in pain, though she doesn't wake up. She won't wake up again. Exterior, Jenna's street. The rain has stopped. Jade watches the house in front of one of the vacant ones, with a casualness that suggests this isn't the first time. The windows are all dark on the upper floor, the kitchen light still on. He puts a cigarette in his mouth, but stops as he's about to light it. He sees movement in the kitchen. Liz startles awake, sitting up in her sleeping bag. She looks towards Jenna's bed, but the bed is empty. There's a big puddle on the floor at the foot of the bed, but Liz doesn't see it. The bedroom door is still ajar. Liz tries to see out to look for light coming from the bathroom. Exterior, Jenna's street. Leaving her house through the side door without a sound, Jenna walks toward Jade, still in her pajamas. As she approaches the sphere of light cast by the street lamp, it's clear that she isn't herself. 
Her eyes are milky, like an ancient Greek oracle, and her shirt is ringed at the collar with dark water, like she's broken a fever. Jade is completely unconcerned when he sees her. In fact, the opposite. The energy and the shrinking air between them is electric, every sound of wind and night falling away. He takes the cigarette from his mouth. As soon as she's within his reach, he steps forward from the fence, placing his hands on either side of her face and pulling her into a deeply passionate, longing kiss, the kind exclusive to lovers reunited at long last. Interior, Jenna's bedroom. Liz stands at Jenna's bedroom window, observing the scene below. She can't see what Jenna actually looks like, but she can see what she thinks she's seeing. What else? Feeling angry and hurt and betrayed a second time, Liz shuts the window, making no effort to do so quietly. It doesn't even matter what she'd said earlier. Jenna doesn't care. She didn't care. Liz goes back to her sleeping bag, crawling in, staring at the ceiling in a storm of bitter frustration. Exterior, Jenna's street. Stepping back, Jade looks at Jenna, tears in his eyes. She looks at him, lips still parted. The inside of her mouth is dark, like the figure in the forest. They stand there, holding each other in physical form, foreheads pressed together in silence. Finally, Jade shakes his head in disbelief, pulling Jenna into his chest and running his hand through her hair. He speaks to her in German. I can't believe it. Neither can I. Jenna, or rather, the other, closes her milky, strange eyes. She might be just empty enough, but this is our last hope. If the spirit won't accept the bond... It's going to work this time, trust me. He takes not Jenna's hand and presses it to his lips. She blinks away black tears, both of them smiling with a reckless type of joy so far out of character for either Jade or Jenna. Jade wipes the tears that spill down her cheeks. I've already thought through everything. We have Agnes this time, the blood moon, this vessel. He trails off, running a hand down not Jenna's neck in a way that eliminates any confusion that she, her body, is the vessel. You need your strength. You'll need to feed again and fully this time. I know a place. He slides his hand through hers. They go down the street, turning at the big palm on the corner. Looking more determined than ever, Jade's eyes gleam. Exterior, college house. Jade and not Jenna stand on the porch of an unkempt bungalow in a decidedly more college-like area of town. Overhead, a string of tattered Tibetan prayer flags sways in the gathering breeze. The porch is littered with general trash, beer cans, and weed paraphernalia. They can hear plenty of noise inside, a record going, people talking. Jade reaches out and knocks on the door. Someone calls out that they'll get it, and footsteps approach from the other side. When the door opens, it's Liz's friend Kilo, shaking back his dreads. Oh, hey man. You're Alex's buddy, right? That's right. Sorry to drop in uninvited, but we're coming down. Can you hook us up? No worries, hombre. Come on in. As the other steps into the light, Kilo pauses, a brief flash of recognition crossing his face. Oh, hold up. Don't I know you too? She all right? Jade reaches out a cold hand, suddenly gripping Kilo's wrist and pressing his thumb hard against the tendon. In response, Kilo freezes, looking blank. She's fine. Why don't you show us inside? Sure. Mikasa, Sukasa. Jade takes the other's hand again, and they follow Kilo into the house without another word. Interior Jenna's bedroom, day. Jenna wakes up in her bedroom, late morning. She props herself on an elbow before a headache forces her to shut her eyes. She's herself again, at least on the outside. As she squints around the room, she realizes that Liz's sleeping bag and things are gone. She rubs her temples. Feeling sweaty and feverish, she takes a few ragged breaths. 
Jenna peels back the covers. She sees blood smeared over her pajama top and shorts, so much of it that it isn't even dry, sticking to her body. She moves shakily from the bed to the vanity mirror, muttering a stream of no, 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 no to herself as trembling hands search her own skin for a wound. There isn't one, but it's a cold relief. Whatever thoughts might run through her mind, the look she gives herself in the mirror is one of horror. A look like she might have dreamt something like this, now waking up to realize it's true. The one thing she isn't is surprised. She realizes that there's a note from Liz on her mirror. It says in measured capital loops, Headed home. Call me later. Jenna looks sick. What happened? She raises her hand to her face and then sees a new shadow blossoming on her wrist, just like the bruise on Liz's back. A deep, vengeful thing. Exterior, Jenna's house. Jenna exits the side door of her house wearing different clothes. She clutches a plastic shopping bag tied tightly by the handles, looking like the contents are wet. She tosses it into the garbage can outside. With one look and another, she tries to make sure that she isn't being watched. The street is empty. Interior, Jenna's house. Jenna sits alone at the kitchen table, rubbing her wrist deep in thought. The cordless phone sits on the table in front of her. A bowl of very soggy cereal sits next to the phone, untouched. Angie comes down from upstairs. She's dressed for work. The cat follows her, heading for its dish. Have you been sitting in silence down here all morning? Huh? Used to this kind of response from Jenna, Angie doesn't think twice. She does see the bruise out of the corner of her eye. What's that? She marches over, pulling Jenna's hand away from the bruise and looking at it critically. Yikes, this looks bad. What the heck did you do? Ran into a curb at the boardwalk. When did that happen? Gosh, I'd almost say it looks like a fracture. It's fine. Angie holds Jenna's wrist, manipulating it this way and that to check the range of motion, switching to her professional mode. Does it hurt? Try moving it like this. Really, it's fine. Just a bad bruise. How late are you working? It's a 12, so hopefully back by midnight if we don't get slammed. Full moon, you know. Lots of crazies out. Their cat jumps up on the table in front of Jenna and starts rubbing its head helpfully against her bruise. Angie goes to the kitchen, pouring some coffee into a thick plastic gas station mug. Why? Thinking of throwing a rager? No, just curious. Hey, what was going on last night? I thought I heard you guys scuffling around in the hall a few times. Uh, the power went out while we were watching a movie. Made us kind of jumpy. Sorry if we woke you. Really? Weird. My clock seemed normal. Speaking of which, late already. Love you. Angie blows her a kiss, leaving through the side door. Jenna momentarily tenses as she passes the garbage can, but relaxes when she hears the car start. Jenna dumps the soggy cereal into the sink, putting a hand to feverish head. Interior, Liz's bedroom. Liz paces in her bedroom, waiting for the phone to ring. The color rises in her cheeks. She's anxious. She checks the time on her watch, 1.45, and tugs irritably at a curl near her ear. The fuck, Jenna? Come on. She continues pacing. Finally, after several frustrated moments, Liz picks up the phone, pressing it to her ear. Her finger hovers over the keypad. No, you know what? You call me. She hangs the phone up, making a guttural groan. Interior, Tad's office. Liz cracks the door open to a cramped, den-like study, her stepfather Tad's office. The room is filled with books, some on shelves, but most littered around any spare surface, stacked precariously. Boxes of papers and files fill the floor. Liz starts looking at the spines of the books, confused by the lack of organization. They're all thick and have dry titles like pre-Columbian Pan-American cultures and their customs. She runs a finger across the shelves, biting her lip. She's going to need divine help to find any sort of information in this rat's nest. After a while, she finds a stack of books pertaining to the occult. One, honestly quite simple by comparison, catches her eye. Demons. She unearths the book from its stack, then slips out of the room. Interior, Liz's bedroom. 
Sitting down in her floral chair with demons, Liz stares down at the black cover. She takes a deep breath. I'm being stupid. This book will show me how stupid I'm being. Demons aren't real. She opens the book. She turns to the introduction, which she begins to leaf through, scanning the pages. Something stops her. The book isn't shown, but Liz traces a finger along the page, lips mouthing the words as she reads along. With sudden urgency, she flips through the pages, looking for the section referenced. When she finds it, we see the chapter heading. Between two worlds, the Dybbuk's place in Jewish mythology. A block-printed illustration shows an etching, a hooded skeleton bent backwards over the spine of a hobbling man whipped by wind. Interior, Jenna's bedroom. Jenna's back asleep in her bed, so exhausted that she's fallen asleep where she lay. The phone rings. It takes a few tries, but she eventually stirs, searching through the covers for the cordless. She answers, delirious. Hello? Jenna, it's Jade from the other night. He sounds so innocent, not at all suggesting that he'd seen her just the night before, nor that he'd reunited with his demon lover in Jenna's mortal form less than 24 hours prior. Oh, hi. I didn't know if I'd given you my number. She sits up a bit, tucking her sweaty hair behind her ear and trying to control the tired sluggishness in her voice. Still, her chest leaps with happiness. No, but I knew it. Stocky senses, remember? (laughs) Right, that explains it. She can't help but smile, even if she feels red guilt in her fingertips now. So I was calling to ask if you'd be interested in a party at our place tonight. It's a blood moon, you know, very rare. Agnes has some special thing in mind. Oh, tonight? You already have plans? Something cold shoots down Jenna's veins, showing on her face as a distant fear, recollecting blood down her stomach. No, no, no plans. I just think I'm coming down with something, you know? I wouldn't want to get anyone sick. Oh, really? That's considerate of you. Yeah, but, um... Yeah, but um, maybe we could see each other some other time this week? Maybe tomorrow? We could meet at the coffee shop? Of course. I'd like that. Well, get some rest, feel better. Thanks. I'll see you. Maybe tomorrow, I guess. Yeah. Bis später. He hangs up, and Jenna clutches the phone with both hands, raising it to her chest with white knuckles. She looks conflicted. She still hasn't called Liz. Maybe she should, but maybe she won't. Interior, Liz's bedroom. Liz has the open book on her bed, the phone pressed to her ear once more. She punches in a number, listening to the dial tone. The answering machine picks up. Yo, it's Kilo and Sean's place, bitch. <laughs> you must have caught us either partying or partied out. Leave a message and bless, motherfucker. A dull, off-key chime sounds. Hey, it's Liz. Uh, I don't know if you're around or if you'll be around later, but I really need to talk to you about Jade and... Uh, I don't know. Maybe I'm being ridiculous. I think I'll come by, or, I don't know, just call me back, okay? She hangs up the phone, and the dread pit in her stomach is growing by the second. Something isn't right. Liz picks up the book, dog-earing the Dybbuk page, and snapping it shut. She shoves it into a bag, then reaches for the phone again. She dials Jenna this time. Interior, Jenna's bathroom. The phone is ringing in Jenna's bedroom, but she's in the bathroom running a bath. She looks even worse than before, wiping sweat from her forehead even as a chill runs up her spine. In the bedroom, the phone on the bed flashes its last low-battery warning and dies. Interior, Liz's bedroom. The phone starts chiming the out-of-service tone, and Liz hangs up in desperation. Ugh, fine, Jen. If that's the way it is, then that's the way it is. She slings the bag over her shoulder in a huff, then exits the room on a mission. Interior, Jenna's house. There's a hurried knock on the front door. Jenna pokes her head out of the bathroom, looking down the stairs cautiously. She isn't yet undressed, but the water has stopped running in the room behind her. The knock sounds again, and she goes down the stairs hesitantly. When she opens the door, Jade is standing on the porch, looking out of place in his full black and sunglasses against the lively sunlit garden. 
Jade, hey. Sorry for coming by unannounced, but I just wanted to check that you're all right. I brought you something. Can I come in? Sure, yeah. I'm sorry if I... She feels very aware of her appearance, finger combing her hair as she leads him into the house. I was about to take a bath. I probably look like death warmed over. Impossible. Awkwardly, Jenna tries to shrug off the compliment, looking around her house and waving an arm vaguely. This is, uh, this is my house. Also not much to look at. No, it's nice. Is your bedroom upstairs? He points, his crooked smile hinting at a motive. She gives a startled laugh at his forwardness. Uh, yeah, uh, it is. Why don't we go up? Jenna folds her arms over her chest. He's not wasting any time today, is he? Okay, uh, but you can't, like, go through my CDs and tell me they all suck. All right. Jade nods, then follows Jenna up the stairs, watching her move with that craving voyeuristic look. Exterior college house. Liz, walking with her arms folded and looking very thoroughly anxious now, walks up to Kilo's house. In the daylight, it seems just the same as every other house, the prayer flag still swaying gently and peacefully over the patio. She knocks on the door, then waits. Compared to the previous night, the complete silence inside speaks volumes. Even Liz can recognize this as out of the ordinary, knocking again with some reservation. After a few moments of waiting and listening, Liz tries the doorknob, finding it unlocked. She stands there, hand on doorknob, bargaining with herself under her breath. This is fucked. This definitely feels unsafe. She pushes the door open, letting it swing on its own, until it hits the couch on the other side with a dull thud. Interior, college house. Liz, still rooted to the front step, calls into the silent house. Hello? Kilo? No answer. She already feels what this means. She takes a breath, then a step. Kilo? Sean? Star? Heather? Carrie Lynn? Anybody? She whimpers a weak half-laugh. With every step, Liz is drawn forward and impelled to go back. She's terrified to be here, but her increasingly rapid breathing is amplifying the sense that she must keep moving. The house is laid out like a classic craftsman. Living room and dining room come beer pog room in the front, kitchen dividing, bedrooms in the back. Having not yet seen any visible signs of struggle, Liz moves from the front of the house to the back. It's in the kitchen that Liz realizes that there's broken glass everywhere. It crunches beneath her shoes. She looks nervously down to the floor, where it looks like every glass and cup in the house has come violently to the tile. Then she sees the blood. It's smeared from the kitchen floor, down the hall, to the cluster of bedrooms at the back of the house, smeared like a bleeding body has been dragged away. Liz follows the path, looking colorless. Pushing open the door to one of the bedrooms, Liz immediately makes sense of the grisly scene and jumps back, screaming. There are three female bodies in this bedroom, huddled together but piled like ragdoll husks on the floor. There's blood on every wall, blood covering the women's clothes, their skin is pale blue as if it were tracing paper. In the hallway, Liz backs against the wall, once more compelled by some adrenaline-fueled terror to push open the next bedroom door. This one, most likely where Akilo and Sean sleep, is also blood-spattered, but holds only one body, a male, slumped over in his bed like he's just woken up. Same story, same blood, same pale blue paper skin. Liz's hands cradle her forehead as she crumples to the ground, eyes wide. She has no thoughts, only reactions, and she needs to locate Kilo. The bathroom door is the furthest away. She stumbles to it, unable to fully stand, her knees are so weak. She pushes open the door. Interior, college house bathroom. The dragged, bloody smear shows up once more against the white bathroom tile. It crosses the bathroom and over the bathtub. Laying in the bathtub, bleeding through his clothes, he's there. Kilo's arm is awkwardly pinned against the bathtub wall, one wiry hand draped over the tub. Oh, fuck. Oh, fuck. 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 She nears the body and jumps in terror when Kilo's hand lifts, reaching desperately toward her. 
His neck is practically bisected, torn from ear to ear. With considerable difficulty, he tries to speak, his ice-colored eyes pleading with Liz. <sighs> you friend. Shh, it's fine. It's cool. Everything's cool. I'm going to call 911. She turns. He grabs for her hand but misses her, swiping her arm with blood. He keeps rasping, the air just gurgling in his nearly severed vocal cords. When Liz looks into his eyes, he shakes his head, and she gets the message. Too late for 911. Liz piles to the floor next to the bathtub, half sobbing, half screaming. Did Jade do this? It pains Kilo to speak and seems to take almost all of the little energy he has left. He nods, then sputters again. No, not... You mean my friend Jenna? He looks at her meaningfully, the last bit of blood streaming from his throat. Liz clutches at Kilo's icy cold skin, sobbing into his bloody arm. Then she remembers the book. She yanks her bag up, pulling it out hastily and nearly tearing it open to get to the dog-eared page. Kilo, I need to know, is it... Do you know what this is? His eyes are dulling, but he tries to focus on it. His hand lands with a thud on the page, smearing the illustration with his blood. With a struggle, he tries again to speak. What is it? He wants her. His eyes drop one last time to the book, the last sound coming from his open throat, a horrible rattling breath. Terrified, Liz backs out of the bathroom, slipping as she stands in the bloody trail, choking on her sobs. Interior, Jenna's bedroom. Jenna pushes open her bedroom door, turning in the center of the room with arms wide as Jade casually observes the surroundings. He bites his lip in regards to the Jordan Catalano poster on Jenna's wall, looking back at her mockingly. Oh my God, <laughs> this is too embarrassing. You can, you can go now. He laughs her off, sticking his hands in his pockets as he continues his search of the room. Jade pauses at the vanity, looking at the photo stuck in the mirror of Jenna's family. He reaches out to pluck up the photo, inspecting it closer. Is this your father? Yeah. He died earlier this year. Really? He looks young here. Yeah, it was um, some heart thing. He went to work in his wood shop one morning and uh, it just happened. It was a few hours before anyone found him, so, you know, too late. She clears her throat. When she looks up at Jade, she expects pity, but instead sees understanding. He nods slightly, tucking the photo with reverence back into its place. I'm sorry. I have lost someone too. Years ago. Uh, It doesn't stop, though, the grieving. Every moment wishing they were here to share it. You would trade your life for theirs in an instant. He stares into the mirror, his jaw set. Jenna's eyes move to his hands, now rested in fists against her desk. And she notices more of the little scars that she'd seen on his arms in the cave. How did it happen? She drowned herself. Jenna goes quiet, and his head turns to look at her. There's a very strange glint in his eyes now. He rests his hands gently on either side of her face, smiling like he did at not Jenna. He kisses her. I, I told you, I, I don't, I don't want to get you sick. You're not going to get me sick. He takes hold of her hands, sitting down in her bed and pulling her next to him, into another kiss. When they part, he slides his rucksack onto the ground and unlatches it. Here, close your eyes. I have something for you. Okay. From the rucksack, Jade pulls out the twiggy dress from the vintage shop, folding it gently across Jenna's lap. All right. You can open them. Jenna does, looking down at her lap and taking a second to make the connection. She holds up the delicately crocheted garment in total shock. Oh my god. How did you know? How did you afford it? Put it on. No, I I can't accept this. I I know how much it was, and we've only known each other a few days. Jenna, put it on, please. She stands from the bed. He leans forward, elbows on his knees. She raises a hand to her eyes, telling him wordlessly to cover his, which he does. 
Facing away from him near the closet, Jenna slips her shirt over her head. She pulls the twiggy dress on. Jade's still covering his eyes, head bowed over his knees. Jenna crosses the room, her blood feeling cold as it runs through her veins, but her heart thudding like the swell of a rising fire in her chest. Once she's standing in front of him, she reaches out to move his hand from his eyes. When he sees her, he looks her over with a deep inhale. It's perfect. Exterior college house. Liz is sitting on the porch of Kilo's house, an ambulance parked at the curb, but no one rushing. Her hands are still covered in Kilo's blood. Police cars are parked on the street. None are at Liz's side. She's draped with one of their flimsy blankets. She sees Angie approach, though this out-of-context appearance doesn't quite register. Angie is speaking to Liz. Then she's helping her to a ratty-looking bench on the patio and using some type of alcohol wipe to clean her hands. Angie, Jenna's in trouble. Jenna? I just saw her at home. She was fine. No, listen. This guy she's seeing, he was involved. He did this. Angie finishes cleaning Liz's hands, looking at her with concern. Guy? I don't know about a guy. And you think she's seeing someone who could do that? That's a very serious accusation. I'm being serious. You're not going to believe me, but there's some real evil shit happening here, okay? And that guy wants Jenna. He wants to... Look, look in this book. She starts to struggle for the book, but Angie puts her hands on Liz's shoulders. Sweetie, you're in shock. What you saw in there was so horrible, and I'm so sorry you had to go through that. I will talk to Jenna, but right now you need to go home, and you need to wait for the police to contact you again. There's no time for that. They need to find him and lock him up, and and you need to go home right now, Angie, because he could be there with her. He could be. There's your stepdad. A partially rusted Subaru station wagon pulls up to the curb outside of the house, which Angie sees and takes as her sign to stand up. Liz stops talking. I promise, Lizzie, I will call the house when I get back to the hospital. She removes her latex gloves, looking at Liz with a pitying expression. I know you're worried, but the Jenna I know would not be involved with anyone that couldn't be trusted, okay? You wait for the police to do their jobs. She turns towards Tad, Liz's stepdad, and waves, walking off the patio. Interior, exterior, Tad's car. Liz sits silent and distraught. A string of prayer beads hang from the rearview mirror. Tad, the stepdad unseen to this point, is a man in his early 40s who perfectly fits the stereotype of a New England, California transplant. He looks like a UC Berkeley cultural studies professor, down to the thick-rimmed glasses and the Birkenstocks. The two of them drive in silence, neither of them really liking the situation. Liz's eyes well with angry tears, and Tad isn't sure what to say. After a while, he clears his throat. throat) Uh, Did you know those kids from school? Liz shoots him a vicious, tearful look and doesn't respond. She starts to cry, though, the tears spilling out and everything coming now to the surface, her chest heaving. Tad, please, will you just stop the car? Yes, okay. Stopping the car. He makes to pull over, but not quickly enough. Liz continuing to hyperventilate through her racking sobs. Stop the fucking car, Tad! Finally, Tad pulls the car over and stops abruptly, and Liz folds in on herself, wailing. He really isn't sure how to help. He extends a hand out to pat her shoulder a few times. Hey, it's, uh, it's gonna be okay. The cops are... They're going to get those guys. This sets Liz off. Words gush out of her, barely intelligible. No, they aren't. You don't even know what you're talking about. You didn't see it. You didn't see Kilo fucking dying with his throat all ripped out, and you aren't being treated like a fucking crazy person because you're trying to tell your best friend's mom that she's in danger of having her fucking throat ripped out too, or worse. So just fucking shut the fuck up. She heaves a breath, throwing herself back against the seat and burying her hands in her face. Tad, eyes wide, awkwardly taps the steering wheel. I'm sorry. Look, I I took your book and... She scrambles for her bag, looking wild. She wrenches Tad's book out, flipping it open to the now bloodstained page and shoving it onto his lap. What is that? How do you stop it? 
Elizabeth, you can't just take things from my office. This was a rare second edition. Fuck, Tad, I'm sorry. I'll buy you a new one, okay? Well, a new one won't be a second edition, will it? Will you just tell me what this is? This is your stupid thing. Tad sighs, not pleased about the condition of demons. Still, he scans the page as best he can through Kilo's blood smears, rubbing a hand over his gray-streaked beard. Well, it's interesting, but it's not all that common of a belief. A Dybbuk is a spirit more than a demon, and not necessarily a bad one. How do you kill it? You don't kill it. You'd have to convince it to leave the host body. See, that's the thing. It's seeking to live again in the physical form, so it wants to possess the person permanently. Permanently? He turns the page, continuing to read the wall of tiny font text, nearly unfazed. To him, this is all culture and mythology, not reality. Right, but like all folklore, it's probably just a simplified way to explain complicated things like mental illness before they had science for psychology. What if it's not? What do you mean? Tad, I think Jenna's boyfriend is this, this spirit thing. Kilo said so, or kind of did. He's going to make her like him permanently. Oh, Liz. Please believe me. He sighs, then after a moment of thought spent staring out the windshield at the passing cars, he turns on the car. Whether this guy is non-human or not, if he had anything to do with what happened to that house, it sounds like she's in trouble. Tad looks in the rearview mirror for an opening to merge back into traffic. He glances at Liz, who is now sobbing into her hands with relief at being believed. Interior, Jenna's bedroom. Jade lays shirtless next to Jenna on her bed, his arm bent beneath his head. He looks at her expectantly. Come with me to the party tonight. Don't you want to? It's not that I don't want to. I just don't know if it's a good idea. Why not? Liz and I are fighting. My mom doesn't want me out late, and... She sits up a bit, a hint of firmness coming into her voice. I'm having fun with you. Really. I really, and I, I mean really, like it. But I just don't know if this is happening too fast. I don't have a lot of experience, and maybe we should slow things down. Slow things down? Yeah, well, you'd be my first. Jade laughs, his teeth showing. He reaches out to stroke her hair. <laughs> what better first time than under a blood moon? With all of your friends in the other room? Or worse, watching? No. Just Agnes. He winks. Jenna takes a strangled breath, smiling back at him, her stomach tight and starving. She scoots off the bed with some difficulty, leaving him laying there, watching her, his free hand drumming on his chest. Uh, maybe I'll just call Liz. I feel bad about last night. Saying nothing, Jade unearths the phone from the rumpled covers underneath him. He picks it up, extending it out to her. Jenna goes to take it, but sees that the battery is dead. She presses one of the buttons, and it doesn't respond. A drop of blood hits the phone. Jenna wipes her nose, realizing that the blood is coming from her. I'll, I'll be right back. She sets the phone on her desk, hurrying from the room and being careful not to bleed onto the very expensive, very special dress. In the bathroom, Jenna pulls a scrunched handful of toilet paper from the roll and presses it to her face. She sits on the closed toilet seat, breathing and soaking the toilet paper. If she stopped to think a moment, she would realize how panicked she feels. Water drops from the bathtub faucet into the full bathtub. She had forgotten she was running a bath. Jenna stands up, tossing the soaked toilet paper into the trash. She pulls back the bell sleeve and reaches into the tub to drain it. As her hand meets the water, another drip of reddish-black blood slides from her nose. Then, the other's hand meets hers in the bath water. Jenna jumps back, slamming an elbow into the counter, watching in horror as the other, in her skeletal and clammy form, emerges from the bathtub, hunched low. What the fuck? What the fuck? Moving with the quickness of a spider in its web, the other grabs Jenna's leg, pulling her with a horrible sound to the tile floor. The other crawls over Jenna, pressing her shoulder to the ground with one hand and strangling Jenna's neck with the other. 
Desperately, Jenna tries to call for Jade, but her own scream is drowned out by appealing, shrieking laughter coming from the other's slack, darkened mouth. The shot switches, still within the bathroom, but now behind Jade's shoulder, standing in the open doorway. He sees only Jenna, or her body, rather, curled in agony on the floor. She's writhing as though a painful transformation is taking place. Jade crouches down next to her, pulling Jenna's shuddering body up in his arms. He cradles her, looking down into terrified eyes. Relax, just let her in. It'll all be over soon. Another spasm of pain crosses Jenna's face, her eyes squinting tightly shut as she lets out a laborious groan. When she opens them, they are milky blind once more, and Jenna is gone. Exterior Jenna's house, dusk. Tad's car pulls up slowly at the curb opposite Jenna's house. It looks peaceful and quiet, the plants swaying innocently in the evening breeze. Inside the car, Tad eyes the house. Liz unbuckles her seatbelt, edging to the windshield to get a better look at Jenna's window on the second floor. Uh, Do you know she's home? I'm her only friend, Tad. If she's not out with me, she's out with him. Just as she says this, the front door of the house opens. Liz points, and Tad looks too. Jade and the other, wearing Jenna's body, step out into the light. Jenna looks weak. She leans on Jade's arm. That's him. That's the guy. Come on. She fumbles for the door handle, managing in a flurry to pull herself out of the car. Liz slams the car door shut. Tad is exiting the car behind her. She's all strength and power and fury as she stomps over the asphalt and then the sidewalk, yelling to Jade and not Jenna in the midst of the overgrown plants. Jenna, listen to me. You have to come with us and get the fuck away from him. Jade puts his body in between she and not Jenna. He speaks faux casually. What's all this about, Liz? We were just heading to a party at the house. Everything's cool. Fuck you, asshole. You are not going anywhere with her. She's getting in my stepdad's car and you're finding somebody else to fuck with. Hey, hey, chill out. Liz gets a look at not Jenna now, realizing that she's wearing the dress and that she looks very unwell. Jenna? At the sound of her name, not Jenna's head rises with difficulty, and she looks Liz right in the eyes with her strange blind ones. What did you do to her? Nothing she wasn't already looking for. He growls this at Liz, looking more menacing than ever. Liz now standing in the way of the objective, so close to completion. Not that you really knew her like I do. You didn't want to see how empty your sweet little Jenna had really become. She practically begged me for an easy way out. So I gave her one. Pleasure running into you, as always. He takes Jenna's hand, pulling her weak body close to his, and smiling cruelly at Liz one last time. With that, he and Jenna are consumed by a pillar of flames, disappearing in a spire of smoke. Nothing left behind but a charred spot on the pavement, the surrounding foliage smoldering. What the fuck? He really... He, where'd he... Holy shit. I think I might pass out. Liz, stunned, looks back at Tad, both of them as pale green as if they'd seen a ghost. Tad clutching the door of the car. Exterior, Agnes's house. Jade and Jenna arrive in their pillar of fire outside Agnes's house. It's semi-abandoned, looking like it belongs as a fight club location. It overlooks the ocean, surrounded by plunging cliffs and other abandoned, overgrown land. When the smoke subsides, not Jenna weakly starts to fall, Jade catching her in his arms. Her lips are black and dry, and she speaks hoarsely to him in German. She's fighting me now. It's not like before. It's only the last of her will holding on. Trust me, it's going to work this time. He picks her up, carrying her up the house's steps. Interior, exterior, Tad's car. Tad and Liz drive in silence once more, too shocked to say anything. Tad's knuckles are white on the steering wheel. I can't believe they're real. Demons? Dibix? All of it. Yeah. The car turns, and Liz looks at her stepdad, fearful of what comes next. Exterior, Agnes's house, night. Tad and Jenna get out of the car. The house's windows are illuminated with flickering candlelight moving behind Taddy curtains. A figure in the top window watches them cross the path to the front door, moving away just as Liz looks up. Interior, Agnes's house. The front door opens easily. Liz and Tad step into the house, greeted immediately by a dense amount of haze in the dim light. 
They can hear music playing, people talking, but as shadowy figures move about in the fog, it's impossible to tell how many there are, and if they're even corporeal beings. Liz makes a fist. We have to find Jenna. They start moving through the haze in the front room, what most likely used to be a parlor in the earlier years of this old place. Some faces are semi-recognizable, people from the poetry reading or from the beach bonfire, those lucky enough to leave with their lives. Eventually, Liz sees Alex, one of Jade's friends who they'd met at Agnes's reading, slumped on a couch along with some other folks. Alex? It's Alex, right? She snaps in front of him to get his attention, and his eyes find hers with considerable difficulty. Where is Jade? Who am I, the sheepkeeper's keeper? <laughs> he chuckles meekly at his own joke, then nods off, his head falling back into the couch cushion in a euphoric daze. Jesus, what are these people, narcoleptics? They're on heroin, Tad. It's worrisome that you know that. You know, maybe we ought to have a talk with your mom after all this. Ignoring Tad, Liz shakes Alex again, his bleary eyes opening just barely. Hey, hey, listen. Jade has my friend. Do you remember her? I need to know where they are. Is Agnes here? Agnes? She's upstairs, man. He points toward a cobweb-heavy stairway behind them, from which more candlelight flickers. Interior, demon attic. In the attic of the demon house, Agnes and Jade draw several symbols, some Hebrew, some astrological, on the beams surrounding a circle drawn on the ground. At the middle of the circle, Not Jenna sits in a wooden chair, looking sweaty and labored. She moans in pain. I can't do it, Tomash. The vessel is too strong. Jade rushes to her side, kneeling and clasping Jenna's hand. He speaks quietly and reassuringly. You can. It's only the last of her will holding on. That's it. It's almost time. Not Jenna nods with great difficulty, looking lovingly down into Jade's eyes, breathing heavily. Jade stands, casting a dark glance at Agnes. Fear is not an emotion he typically shows, but for the first time, his face is anxious. Agnes, dressed in flowing black, comes into the circle. She puts a long hand on the crown of Not Jenna's head, closing her own eyes as though communing with her spirit within. Magda's power's waning. If we bleed her, she might have a better chance. She opens her heavy eyes, turning her head lazily to Jade. No, absolutely not. I won't let her vessel be scarred like mine. It will work. How much longer? Agnes releases her grip on Not Jenna, moving to the attic window to peer out once more, watching the moon rise over the cliffs. Interior, Agnes's house upstairs. Entering the second floor, Tad and Liz fumble in comparative darkness. They find a room with an open door, a lit candle inside. Looking in from the hall, it appears to be a very bare bedroom, decorated only with a few old black and white photos. Keep an eye out. I just want to see. Leaving Tad at the door, Liz enters the bedroom. She quickly creeps over the floor, crossing the small room in only a few seconds. Picking up one of the warped photographs, it shows a young man, definitely not Jade as we know him, sitting in a room filled with sculptures in progress. It looks to be from the mid-60s. Liz looks at another, this one showing the same young man and a young woman with long black hair and a placid, peaceful face smiling at the photographer. Holding the photo up, Liz turns back to Tad. Before she can speak, Cristiano comes behind him and cracks him on the back of the head, Tad crumpling to the ground. Liz gasps. Interior demon attic. Out of the window, the full moon has now risen and is arcing higher into the sky, beginning to be tinged with color from the eclipsing earth, the beginning of the blood moon. Agnes glides back to the circle on the floor, wringing her hands in preparation. We should begin now. Has it started? He's kneeling in front of Not Jenna again, holding both of her hands in his as the internal battle between her and the other seems to grow more dire. Barely, but we might be interrupted if we wait too long. Fine, start the spell. The attic door opens, startling both Jade and Agnes. Cristiano enters, pushing Liz in front of him, bound and gagged, and dragging Tad behind, unconscious. Caught up with them downstairs poking around your things. What do you want with the girl? Keep her quiet and out of the way. Magda will be weak after the bonding. She can feed off the two of them. Liz's eyes widen as she knows exactly what the victims of that process look like. 
She protests futilely as Cristiano drags her into a corner and pushes her to the ground. Her eyes dart from Jenna to Jade to Agnes to Tad, still unresponsive on the floor nearby. She feels them here, Tomash. Hurry. Jade, looking pained, presses his thumbs into Jenna's wrists, which seems to help give Magda some surge of control. Jenna's chest heaves. Agnes lights a black candle on an altar nearby, arranging a myriad of items as she starts chanting in Spanish. There's a hint of movement in the corner of Liz's eye. Tad is coming too, slow and dazed as he takes in his surroundings. Agnes, now moving in a very deliberate counterclockwise circle around Jenna, extending the black candle, is reciting something similar to her earlier poem. Broken spirit without rest, breathe life once more within thy breast. Not Jenna takes a gasping breath, the dark, silty substance pouring down her chin. In the corner, Tad has managed to pull himself up on all fours, unnoticed. He reaches for a rusted iron crowbar discarded on the floor. Will of the other now come to an end. At this, the not Jenna begins to cry, but this time not in pain, in joy, in freedom. Black tears stream from her eyes. What death divides be made whole again. Clang! Tad hits Cristiano over the head with the crowbar, and all chaos begins. Jade leaps to his feet. The chalk circle bursts into flames, protecting he, Agnes, and not Jenna, who is now writhing in the chair, screaming. Bastards! Keep going! I'll fucking kill him if I have to. Tad, panting, undoes Liz's gag and starts fumbling with the rope binding her, but she shouts back at him. No, stop them before it's too late! Right. Shit. Agnes starts pacing again, repeating the same spell, this time more forcefully. Through the flames, Jade looks menacingly at Tad, struggling to get up but holding the crowbar tightly in his hands. Let her go! Jade sneers. He then takes a step into the fire, emerging unscathed on the other side, advancing on Tad. Tad swings at him, but Jade catches the crowbar easily. They struggle back and forth, Tad grunting, Jade eventually gaining control and using the bar to choke Tad from behind. Liz, meanwhile, wriggles her hands free enough to work out of the rope. She scrambles to the blistering edge of the fire. Jenna! Not Jenna's head moves in reaction to hearing Liz's voice, the milky eyes searching. Agnes pauses. It's weak, but the real Jenna seems to call back, if only for a moment. Liz? Jenna, don't let her in. You belong here with us, with the living. Oh, like you know what it is to live. Agnes, rolling her eyes, uses her free hand to clamp onto Jenna's head once more, continuing her spell. Behind them, Tad fights his hand underneath the bar at his throat. He gets his grip and struggles free, cracking the crowbar into Jade's jaw. He falls back, his mouth filling with blood. Liz screams in his direction, helpless at the edge of the fire. Tad, you have to make the spirit leave him. He's too strong. Thinking quickly, remembering what he can from demons and a handful of rumors from the old Shiva, Tad puts a hand to Jade's forehead. I command this evil spirit to depart. Jade screams as though Tad's skin on his is burning through to the bone. Tad repeats himself, his voice more commanding. Depart! And suddenly, Jade falls limp on the ground. The fire surrounding the circle dies out in an instant, and Jenna's form is now lifeless, her head hung over her chest. Liz rushes to her side. Agnes, looking unfazed, goes to the window. The moon is going back to its normal color, the eclipse ending. Jenna, Jenna, are you there? You're too late. The eclipse is finished. The bond is complete. Jenna's part is played. She comes closer, hatefully smiling at Liz. She clucks her tongue, touching Liz's face. Don't you fucking touch me, you witch. She clocks Agnes in the throat with surprising strength, sending her coughing and sputtering to the ground in a clump of black linen. Liz grabs for the rope that she had been bound with and hurriedly ties Agnes's hands with it as the older woman groans and curses in Spanish. Tad, help! I can't believe I'm doing this. I don't know what I'm doing. This is, this is the real deal. This is... Tad! He tries to swallow his panic, stepping into the circle now burned into the floorboards. As he does, the other takes back control of Jenna, her head snapping back to avoid looking in Tad's direction. Liz comes to kneel in front of her again, holding Jenna's knotted hands. Jenna, it's me. It's Liz. We're going to save you. What do we do, Tad? I don't know. 
I don't know. I don't, I don't remember the story. I thought you studied this kind of thing. As a kid in Vermont. Come on, remember, remember. He paces, finally clearing his throat and speaking once more with his most commanding voice. <clears throat> Evildoer, why do you turn your face away from me? The wicked are unable to gaze upon the face of the glory of God. Look at me, evildoer. Who gave you permission to enter the body of this girl? Jenna's head creaks to Itad. A very inhuman smile crosses her black-smeared lips. Know that this girl's inside is not like her outside, as she has questioned the miracles that the Holy One, blessed be he, did for Israel. She sins with doubt in her heart. Tad falters, stammering, not sure what to do next. Liz looks pleadingly at him. Tad, please, you can do this. She has to come back. She's all I have. Oh God, this is fucked. I'm sorry, Jenna. He places his hand on Jenna's forehead, causing her to scream the same way Jade did. Jenna's hands clutch and scratch at Liz's wildly, drawing blood on her skin. Do you believe with perfect belief that the Holy One, blessed be he, created the heavens and the earth? Yes, I believe it. Jade convulses on the floor outside of the circle, reaching out in agony towards Jenna, apparently paralyzed by his own spiritual turmoil. Do you believe in perfect faith that the Holy One, blessed be he, is one and unique, and that he has the power and capacity to unite in eternity what he divides below? Jade yells hoarsely from his spot on the floor, clawing at the floorboards. No, Magda! Yes, I believe it. Then I command the spirit to depart from this body only from the left hand and do no more harm. With a horrible cacophony of noise like hell itself opening up, the windows of the attic all shatter, an intense wind seeming to blow through the entire space. Tad and Liz are thrown back, shielding themselves from the glass. Jenna screams, her left hand twisting back like it is about to break. Then, in one terrible moment, Jenna's wrist snaps. Her eyes immediately blink back to normal as she gasps in relief and exhaustion, head dropping to her chest. There's silence. Did it work? She goes to Jenna, shaking her gently. Jenna? To she and Tad's immense happiness, Jenna lifts her head heavily, using her right arm to wipe the black sludge from her mouth. What the fuck was that about? Liz throws her arms around Jenna, holding her tightly as they sob and laugh. Tad sighs, running a hand through his hair in disbelief of his own apparent power. A scuffling sound behind them draws their attention. Jade, still lying on the floor, seems to be waking up. He picks himself up weakly, looking around completely lost. Was ist passiert? Was seid ihr alle? Liz and Jenna exchange a glance, Jenna's dry and stained lips parting, but with nothing really to be said. Exterior, Agnes's house. Tad carries Jenna in his arms towards the car. She holds her broken wrist gingerly. Behind them, Liz and Jade follow, Liz supporting the still-weak Jade, who continues peppering her with questions in innocent, inaudible German. Exterior hospital. Tad and Liz stand outside of the emergency room, leaning against the Subaru, both completely exhausted and still covered in speckles of blood and ashes from the attic. Maybe let's not talk to your mom, after all. Yeah, no. Tad fishes in his shirt pocket, pulling out a rolled joint. He lights it, takes a puff, then offers it to his stepdaughter. How did you know what to say? Did you just read it in the book? <sighs> I remembered the balsam top. Liz looks back at him blankly. The balsam top? The best? I'm Jewish, Liz. I grew up Orthodox. No shit. She sighs, looking up at the clear, full moon above. Exterior, Jenna's house, day. Liz rides her bike up to Jenna's house on a sunny morning, some weeks later. There's a small black truck parked outside, the back filled with what looks like camping gear and totes. Jenna is walking out of the house with Angie as Liz rides up. Jade, looking exactly the same but somehow lighter, happier, different, finishes tying down the gear in the back of the truck. Hey, I'm glad I caught you. All set? Almost. She wears a cast on her left arm and her dad's flannel. She also has the small cross necklace back around her neck. Angie smiles, looking happily at the three kids. 
Jade joins them, leaning an arm casually against his truck. He smiles, too, and his smile is warm. So the cops decided it was some drug kingpin who, you know, Kilo. Oh, wow. That's crazy. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Did you decide where you'll go first? Jade's never seen San Francisco, or at least not that he remembers. We'll start a few days there before going up to Big Sur. It's a sad day, Lizzie. My baby girl's leaving me here all alone. You'll still come by and visit, right? Absolutely. She smiles, pulling Jenna into a big hug. She says quietly in Jenna's ear, How's the English going? He's getting better. We have a dictionary and draw a lot of pictures. And he really doesn't remember anything? He still thinks there's a Soviet Union. Hate to be the bearer of bad news. They part, looking happily at each other. Liz sighs contentedly, then pulls Jade in for a hug as well. It would seem that the absence of his own demonic other, Tomash, has eased tensions between the two of them, their own glasnost. Bring her back in one piece, okay? Promise. Jenna hugs Angie, receiving a kiss on her cheek without protest. Angie also hugs Jade, then puts her hands on her hips and takes a strict tone. No driving while drowsy, got it? If you're tired, pull over. And call whenever you can so I know you're safe. I put a bag of change in the cooler. Okay, Mom. Love you. Love you, too. With that, Jenna and Jade get in the truck. Jenna pokes her head out of the open window, waving goodbye and blowing kisses to Angie and Liz, standing on the sidewalk. Angie puts an arm around Liz, squeezing her tightly as they both wave back. I'm sorry about your friends, Liz. I saw the news today. Drugs are a terrible thing. Yeah, they are. She looks knowingly after the truck, her lips pressed together momentarily, before assuring herself once more that she's done the right thing. Interior, exterior, Jade's truck. The two of them drive through Pacific Beach, on their way to the highway, sitting quietly and peacefully. Jenna watches the coast shrinking in the side-view mirror. She smiles, then edges closer to Jade on the truck's bench seat. She rests her head on his shoulder, closing her eyes. As the truck winds through a twisting section of road, Jade takes Jenna's casted hand, lifting it to his lips. He smiles at her, then speaks in German. What death divides? Made whole again. She kisses his hand as well, and they both look at each other, so in love, so invincible. Tomas and Magda drive on, the coast glittering below them, nothing but the future ahead. Thanks for listening to Lear, a screenplay by Brighton Carper Ballard. Lear was recorded at Archive Recordings in North Salt Lake, Utah, with Anna Beagley as Angie, Mackenzie Steele Foster as Jenna, Rebecca Frost as Liz, Bryce and Alejandra as Kilo and Cristiano, Noah Kersiznik as Jade and Alex, Rebecca Burrows as Agnes, and Zach Johnson as Tad. Lear was narrated and directed by Brighton Carper Ballard. Original music was written and performed by Scott Wazalewski, with Blood Moon by High Viz used with permission. Derek Ballard designed the cover and artwork for Lear. Special thanks to Riley Sine, Zach Johnson, Rebecca Frost, Derek Ballard, Daniel Johnson, Wessa Archive, High Viz, Ikaika Cox, Gabby Grubaugh, and Mark Davis. <laughs>